And during the month of uh, September, we're preaching a series of messages called The Unseen World, Angels, Demons, God, and You. And the big idea, the central truth of each message in the four-part series is expressed in a simple prayer that you can take with you and you can pray all week. I know you remember last week's prayer was, Lord, open my eyes. Now that I refreshed your memory, say that with me. Lord, open my eyes. Because we we know that there's more happening in the world than what we can see. And some of the most important things that are happening in the world are things that we can't see. There is a, a great unseen world. And when we prayed this prayer, Lord, open my eyes, then the Lord opens our eyes to things that are happening that we can't see uh, with our physical eyes. Now, I made a little list of things that might happen should the Lord open our eyes. That was the prayer last week, right? We would, we would probably pray more, wouldn't we? we, would, we would, uh, it would affect what we value. It would give us boldness. It would make us sober or serious about spiritual realities. It would thrill us with the beauty of God. We would see things we wouldn't normally see. It would warn us of the great error and danger and deception that's around us if the Lord were to open our eyes to spiritual things, we would live with greater faith and greater hope and greater love. It would just, it would just change a lot of things if, if we prayed the prayer regularly, Lord, open my eyes. Maybe you did that this week. It would increase our knowledge of God. It would deepen. It would strengthen our faith. It would help us see the reality of evil and the power of God. It would, it would, we would, we would be better be able to evaluate what will last and what will really matter if we could see things that are unseen. We would have a sobering view of the consequences of sin. We would have insight into what God was doing around us. We would see people the way God sees people. We would welcome the work of God in our lives. We would have a greater sensitivity to God's merciful warnings to us, wouldn't we? If we could pray the prayer, Lord, open my eyes, we would have a renewed conviction of the importance of the church and what God said he was going to do in his, his uh, church. We, we would um, see how God has arranged things around us that looked like they were happenstance, but they were but they, they actually arranged by God to accomplish his purposes. If we were to see like the angels in our heart's eye, if we were to see the throne room of God, then like Isaiah, we would be moved to greater holiness, wouldn't we? It would just change a lot if we prayed that prayer, Lord, Lord, open my eyes. And today, though, I want to go into a deeper understanding of the mysteries of the unseen world, and I want to introduce another simple prayer, and I want to challenge you to pray this simple prayer. But before we go on, two, two things first about unseen things angels demons god and you i think these are the categories by the way of all beings angels demons god people but two things first let's just say it this way be aware is going to be number one and beware is going to be number two be aware 
and beware. Be, let's talk about being aware. So we want to be aware that there's more happening than what we can see. This is, this is what this whole series is about. It really isn't all the curiosities and sensationalism about demons and angels. It's just that people ought to stop and think, if there is a, an unseen reality, then we want to live in the light of that. We want to believe it and we want to live that way. We want to think and make our decisions based on things that are real, even though they're unseen. And so the whole series is just a, a month of thinking about that and then talking about some of the details so that we're, we're spiritually minded people. We're spiritually oriented people. So we want to be aware. We want to be aware that God is at work in our world. We want to be aware that there, there's, there are evil forces at work in our world. We want to be aware that in our world there are many, many good things that God is about and that his angel's about, and that his spirit is about, and that his church is about. And we want to be on the right side and contributing to the right side, right? So we want to be aware. So I believe in angels. I believe in the supernatural. I believe in the unseen world around us. I believe in angels, but I, but I don't uncritically believe every angel story I ever heard. Now, this is really important. Um, we'll talk a bit more about that in a minute i do build my life on the sure foundation of the bible and the bible is full of fascinating stories of the supernatural world we're going to look at one of them today just a fascinating story of the supernatural world and this is true about us right we all have within us a, a powerful instinct for the world that's unseen a powerful innate interest in the mysteries of the universe that we can't see. We have a God-given instinct. We have a God-given interest in the stories of the supernatural because we were created with uh, time and eternity in our hearts. This is true. We were created with immortal souls, souls that long for eternity and yearn to untangle the mysteries of the universe. It's who we are. It's how we're made. We, we long to look into things that are unseen. We have a hunch in our souls, don't we, that there's more, much more to the world than that which is immediately visible to the, to the human eye. If you think about that, you know, when you see something just ex inexpressibly beautiful, doesn't it just all, almost automatically, like, tug your heart Godward? Or when you see something that's almost inexpressibly frightening or or ultimate, you know, you, maybe you've had occasion to see uh, someone in a very, very serious, uh, dangerous place or injury or, or death. And these things always cause us, that, they, they, they always connect with that instinct that we have. There's more than just what we see uh, here in this life. We have longings that nothing material can fulfill. We have longings that nothing man-made can satisfy. Isn't that right? We have longings in our heart that you never are going to get satisfied, even if you get a $10,000 raise this year. You have longings in your heart that, that nothing will satisfy, even if you travel to all the places that everybody takes pictures on, puts them on their Instagram. If you go there and somebody else paid your way, you would still be working really hard to be happy. You ever notice that? You ever go to the places in the world that are the greatest tourist places in the world and watch how hard people are working to have a good time? You're like, ouch. And we have occasions when we get this shadowy glimpse uh, through the mist and through the fog of like, 
things that are real. You know, C.S. Lewis said he called this, this world the Shadowlands. He and other Christian writers have called this world a world of shadows. And the unseen world, the ultimate world, uh, the realities. And so we have that sense that uh, the realm around us is populated by spirits, both good and evil, and realities that are eternal. And they're both profoundly beautiful on some occasions and horrifyingly ugly evil on other occasions. And it really helps us to understand our world when we see the world the way the Bible describes the world. There's unspeakable human dignity and good and kindness and benevolence and charity and philanthropy. But on the other hand, there's unspeakable kinds of evil that people do against each other. And the Bible specifically describes that when you just open up the Bible and you study what does the Bible say about the unseen world, it perfectly describes the, the, in, in, the age in which we live. So there is a God, there is a devil, there is a place of illimitable goodness. There is a place of the eternal punishment away from the presence of the Lord. There is a place of eternal worship and adoring song and abiding fellowship, uniting souls from centuries of time in the communion of the saints. It's described in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 20 through 24. It's called Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, populated by an innumerable company of what? angels an innumerable company of angels it is the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven god the ultimate universal judge is there along with the spirits of just men made perfect all this is in hebrews chapter 12 try to imagine it and there's a place where the worm doesn't die and the fire of suffering is not quenched a place of eternal conscious torment these are serious and ultimate things that the bible teaches you can't Again, you can't cherry-pick the Bible and just take the nice little greeting card parts and leave the hard parts because then you're doing violence to the Scripture. How are we to understand these realities that we can't see but which will have such a powerful effect on us and all the people that we love? How do we understand these things? The Bible. Through the Bible. The Bible, God's revelation of himself, the Bible, is our only reliable source of discernment about what's happening in the unseen world. Unseen world. We want to trust what the Bible teaches, and we want to be careful not to distort it. And so the Bible, in the Bible, we have all that we need, but we, so we must be aware of that. Remember the Sadducees, the Pharisees? Remember how they were distinguished? The Sadducees, remember how the Sunday school teacher said they didn't believe in a resurrection or angels, so they were sad you see remember how they would always say that that's always helpful right and the pharisees they believed in the resurrection and they believed in angels and jesus would frequently put a finger in the eye of the sadducees and he would talk about things and he would affirm the reality of angels did jesus believe in angels yes he did that's why he was not sad you see ah oh, had to do that again sorry this is cheap humor isn't that terrible um, so, so when we're filled with wonder, mystified with questions, wise men and women open the word of God. And Jesus said there were angels in Acts 23, uh, 7 and 8. When he had said this, a discussion arose between the Pharisees and Sadducees, and the assembly was divided for the Sadducees say, there's no resurrection, no angel, no spirit. That would be a bummer, wouldn't it? You're not a Sadducee, are you? 
You're not, a, you're not a crass materialist. You know that there are angelic beings, angels and demons and God and men, and they're all, all working in the world. And Jesus said that we should be aware of that. Now, but we should also beware because, now, now listen, three passages of Scripture that I want to refer to briefly. Galatians 1.8, Paul is warning the Christians in Galatia and say, don't listen to another gospel even if an angel brings it to you. Get it? Be careful about angel messages because not all angels are good angels and not all messages are good messages. Remember that. And then um, this is what he says. But even if we or an angel from heaven would preach another gospel, especially watch if somebody claims some kind of angelic mystery and they distort the gospel, watch out for that. This we know to be wrong. Paul warned about that. Then there was in Colossians 2.8, there is this like, don't worship angels. And there is kind of an angel mania, you know, in the culture because these, are so fa- these stories are so fascinating and they're so sensational. It would be easy for us to get the wrong impression and to make angels the deal. But angels aren't the deal. Angels are messengers of the one who is the great, the great I am, right? And that we, we sung about. And then in Colossians, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, this is a definitive passage, right? You remember this, and and Paul is saying here, and no wonder Satan himself transforms himself into what? An angel of light. And so we shouldn't be surprised if his ministers transform themselves into ministers of righteousness. This is telling us that Satan sometimes takes on the persona of a good angel, an angel of light, and his ministers as ministers of righteousness, even though we know they're not. So that would be under the beware. So we are be aware and beware. We have this longing within, so we want to be aware of the spirit world, but we want to be aware of distortion or wrong teaching that can come. So now a few more Bible facts about angels, and then I want to tell you an amazing and fascinating story, which is going to take us to our second little prayer that I hope that you pray all week. Here are, remember, remember these things, 20 Old Testament books, 17 New Testament books mention angels, 283 mentions of angels in the Bible. Remember what we said, the, the word for angel occurs more often in the Bible than the word for love. The word for angel occurs more often than the word for sin. If love and sin are important, angels are important. The Sadducees, remember, denied the resurrection and angels. Jesus taught in respect to marriage and reproduction. He said, in heaven we'll be like the what? Like the angels, so he must have believed they existed, right? And Jesus taught that angels would come with him at his second coming. Sometimes we read over that, but this is tremendous to read these things. In Matthew 24, in the Olivet Discourse, Jesus is referring to his second coming and all the holy angels coming with him. And then he said he could, remember the song, he could have called 10,000 angels. I talked to the author of that song. He's a precious Christian man from Michigan. He said, I didn't know what a legion was back then. Because it was actually, you know, Tenta. He says, Jesus repeatedly, he, he said he could have called 12 legion or 72,000 angels to prevent his cru- crucifixion if he had chosen to in Matthew 25. And Jesus repeatedly, I love this, Jesus repeatedly noted this, that when one sinner comes to repentance, then what happens in heaven? The angels rejoice over one sinner who comes to repentance. I remember my 
my Aunt Betty and my Uncle Bill got saved one night. They were way up in years. It doesn't happen very often when people are old. They both got beautifully saved one night. And my mom and dad drove back to my grandma's house, Betty's sister, right, to tell her that her sister got saved. And my grandma, who was a very devout believer, just because of all the hard things she'd been through with her sister, said, well, I'll believe that when I see it. And I remember that we all laughed. Grandma loved the Lord, prayed for her sister's salvation. And guess what? She lived to see it. And so, so should we rejoice when a sinner comes to repentance. That ought to happen a lot. How, by the way, just like a little aside, no extra charge. How could we, sinner, how could we, see, how could we see sinners come easily to repentance? It could happen so easily. How could we do that? You could repent of your sin. See what I'm saying? Like right now. Even while I'm talking. You can say, make a mental note, repent of all my sin, right? Because like, did anybody not sin this week? Raise your hand if you didn't sin. You're all shy. You're like, I didn't sin, but I'm not going to tell him. And sure. <laughs> you didn't sin. You didn't have a wrong thought, wrong word. You didn't neglect anything you should have done. See what I'm saying? But, you know, we're talking about salvation. So anyway, so we pray, Lord, open my eyes. And we anticipate all that God will do. So keep praying that prayer, right? Keep praying that prayer all the time. Lord, open my eyes. And by the way, here's a tip. Especially when you're tempted not to see things the way God sees things. Just say, help me see this the way you see it, Lord. I'm feeling frustrated right now. Lord, open my eyes. This is not how I planned on spending my day. Lord, what are you doing? Open my eyes. This person is irritating me. Open my eyes, right? Help me see things the way you see them. And now, and that moves us to, and so, and then of course, be aware and, and beware. You got all that. So let's move to the second prayer and, and the one for today. Now there is another prayer about the unseen world that will revolutionize your life. It will powerfully help you. And we find it in one of the most fascinating stories of the Bible in Genesis 18. Take your Bibles, turn then to Genesis 18. And I'll, let me tell you the story, then we'll read parts of it. This is one of the stories of Abraham and Sarah. Abraham and Sarah, who God had made promises to Abraham, right, that he kept, obviously. You can see in the world today, Abraham is still having a major influence in the world right now. On the news, every night, are the descendants of Abraham, right, all over the world. I mean, this is big stuff. This is the heart of the news right now. God said it would be. So here you have this nomad, if you will, sitting in the door of his tent, and God makes unbelievable, staggering promises to him that he keeps, and you and I can see in our lifetime today, every night on the evening news, we can see it, Abraham and Sarah, right? And he says, you're going to be the father of a great nation, remember that? And then he feels like he has to do it on his own, so he sleeps with his handmaid, which he wasn't supposed to do. God says, no, I'm going to give you your own son, and he made him this promise. And in the midst of this, Abraham is sitting in the door of his tent one day when three unusual visitors come down the road by the oaks of Mamre. He's sitting in the door of his tent. And here are these three unusual visitors. Abraham is not a novice. He's met with God before. And he recognizes that something really special is happening. These are not just your average three men that are coming down the road. There's something special about them. Abraham does what older men in that culture would not normally do. He runs and he shows reverence by falling down before them. 
And, you, and, you, and we, we find that here in verse 2. He lifted his eyes. He looked and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and he bowed himself to the earth. And he says, if I have found favor in your sight, then he says the phrase right here that is the prayer that will change your life if you pray it. And that is, Lord, he says, don't pass me by. Don't pass me by. We'll talk about it a little bit later, but I can't think of this without thinking of an old hymn by the great old hymn writer Fanny Crosby. Pass me not. Pass me not, O gentle Savior. Hear my humble cry. Don't pass me by. Now this is this is a much more significant prayer than you realize. He says, O Lord, if I have found, he says, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. And then he invites them in and he shows hospitality. This was a cultural, uh, this was standard in their culture, but he goes beyond basic hospitality to showing reverence. He says, let a little water be brought. Wash your feet. Rest yourselves under the tree where I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves. And after that, you may pass on. But don't pass by your servant. Verse 3. Since you've come to your servant. They said, do as you said. Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, quick, do a whole lot of work for these guys. I think this is kind of cute. Let me help you. Sarah. Like, I love when this happens. Yeah. Um, Sarah, quick, three seahs of fine flour, knead it, bake cakes. Abraham ran to the herd, took a calf, tender and good, gave it to a young man, prepared it quickly, took curds and milk and a calf that he had prepared, set it before them, stood by them under the tree while they ate. This was a significant, they, and, and, I, and I skipped the part of the passage on purpose so that so I could emphasize it now. Who are these men? Who are these men? We don't know. We don't know for sure. But we do know what they're called, what one of them is called, repeatedly, is called Lord. Look at verse 1. And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre as he sat at the door of his tent, and he lifted up his eyes, and three men standing in front of him. So here's my educated guess. Two angels and a Christophany. Two angels and a Theophany, a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ. That's my theory. He said, and, it's, and he says, he calls him Lord. He worships him. And he's not corrected here. Abraham has met with God before. God and a couple of angels are coming to Abraham. And Abraham has the good sense to say, since you're here, do not pass me by. Say what you're going to say. Do what you're going to do. I'm going to host you. I'm going to entertain you. I'm going to feed you. I'm going to hang on your every word. This is the attitude that we want to have toward the, the, uh, toward the God of the unseen world and his holy angels. Welcome to my life, God. Do whatever you want to do. Please don't pass me by. If you have a word of warning, I want to hear it. If you have something you want to bless me with, I want to have that blessing. And so Abraham and Sarah, they invite God into their life, and here's what he does for them. You're going to see in verses 9 through 15, he promises them a lifelong fruitfulness that he's going to promise them they're going to have a child. Um, here in verse 9, they said, where, he said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, she's in the tent. She's probably worn out, right? She's doing all that work. And the Lord said, I will surely return to you 
about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Sarah was listening in the tent door. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. Don't you love the the beautiful kind of poetic understatement of the Bible? So Sarah laughed to herself. After I'm worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? And the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, I indeed bear a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard? for the Lord. At the appointed time, I will return about this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. And Sarah denied it. Denied she laughed, right? Saying, I didn't laugh. She's afraid. This was, goes to show you that God will bless people even when they lie. You should not lie, but I'm just saying, he blesses because he's good, not because we're good. I love these parts of the Bible. My eye is quick to find them. I didn't laugh. Do you see what happens? So, so when, they, when they say this prayer, don't pass me by, Lord, he comes in and he fulfills a promise that they thought was impossible. You ever feel like the promises of God are impossible? Come on, come on. Talked to a single mother yesterday morning. The Lord put me on her heart. I called her on the phone. I said, are you doing okay? She goes, not, I'm not doing very good. I said, things are going to get better. She says, I don't know, I hope so. She needs to know that God keeps his promises to single dads and to single moms, right? She needs to, and, and how, how, can, how can she have confidence that God is going to keep his promises to her? She needs to say to God, God, if you have anything to do, do it. Don't pass me by. Pass me not. She needs to pray the prayer, pass me not. Fruitfulness comes to people who say, pass me not, right? And joy comes, right? She has this cynical laughter, this is like unbelieving laughter. Yeah, right. Old as I am, old as this dude is, we're going to have a baby. Like, I'm sure she's laughing like that. But can you imagine when the baby is born, a good, healthy baby is born? Can you imagine the laughter that she had? She is so happy she named him laughter. She named the baby laughter. There must have been a lot of happiness. There must have been a lot of laughter. Like, you're kidding me. You're that old. I, look, here's the baby. God promised, he does what he said. He changed her cynical laughter into joyful laughter because they said, Lord, don't pass me by. And there's more. This is interesting. What else? Uh, they, they gave, God gave Sarah and Abraham powerful influence. Um, look, look in verse uh, 16. And the, the men set out from there and they looked towards Sodom The men set out from there and looked towards Sodom, and Abraham went with them to set them on their way. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Seeing that Abraham will surely become a great mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth will be blessed in him. For I've chosen him that he, command his, that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what I have promised him. So the Lord is in the presence of these angels, these other men, and he's having a discussion with them about Abraham in the third person, even though he's there. What do you think, guys? Should I tell him or should I keep it from him? I mean, I am going to keep my promises to him and to his children, his generations. He is going to influence cities and nations. Should I tell him what I'm about to do? 
So God whispers his secrets into Abraham's ear and tells him what he's about to do. And then Abraham gets to be a part of that. Remember the negotiation about Sodom? What if there are ten just people or five righteous people? Remember this? The, the, Abraham is in the negotiation about whether the city gets wiped out and how many righteous people are there. He's a player in that. He's a player because he invited God into his life. Now, this is what I'm trying to say to you. You, you may not be the father of many nations, but you have a calling on you. And you have something you need to obey God in. And something you need to believe God for. And God has something to do in your life that needs to happen. And for that to happen, you want to invite him in every day. Lord, I welcome you into my life. No matter what it costs or no matter what it means. I welcome you into my life. I say, God, do not pass me by. This is really interesting because this is a, happens a number of places in the Bible. In Mark, in the book of Mark, the disciples are out and they're toiling in the sea and there's a great storm that comes up and Jesus is praying all night. And while he's praying, he decides, I should go to them. And he goes to them in the storm. And the Bible says, listen to this, it's in, it's in Mark, uh, and it's in uh, chapter 6, and, and it says, immediately he made his disciples get in the boat and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up into the mountain to pray. So Jesus is praying on the mountain, and he's very conscious that his disciples are about to go through a storm. Are you listening to me? Jesus is praying on the mountain. He said, I'm going to go send the disciples into a storm. I'm going to go pray on the mountain. Jesus is conscious his disciples are about to go through a life-threatening storm. When evening came, the boat was out on the sea. He was alone on the land. He saw they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea, and he meant to pass by them. Like, I'm just out here strolling Oh, hey guys, what's up? And he's going to keep going. He meant to pass by. But when they saw him walking on the sea, thought it was a ghost, they cried out. But they saw him and they were terrified. He said, take heart. Don't be afraid. This, there's another example I like. It's on the road to Emmaus. Remember that one? I love this story. He, he's, this is the resurrected Christ in a post-resurrection appearance, walking with the disciples who are downcast and they're disheartened. And they're, they're making their way along, and they're sad because Jesus died, and he's there with them. And it, this is in um, chapter uh, 24 uh, of Luke. Um, chapter 24, um, let me see. Uh, they're, they're walking about the road. He said, verse 28, So they drew near to the village to which they were going, and he acted as if he was going to go further. This is what I would do if you offered me zucchini bread and coffee. I would say, oh no, do you have some? So I came over to your house and you had that friendship bread and black coffee, really good black coffee. And you said, would you want coffee? And then I would say, no, no, no. Are you brewing some? And then you, then you would say, oh yes, if you want some. I'm like, no, really, I shouldn't. But yeah, I take mine black. I love this. It's that social thing. But Jesus, but this is a pattern though in the, in the Bible that God says, you want my work in, in your life? Ask for it. You want me to step into your life? Ask me to step into your life. I got things that I would do if you ask me. What if you got in the regular habit of saying, God, whatever you want to do in my life, I'm welcoming you in. Pass me not, O gentle Savior. Hear my humble cry while on others are calling. Do not pass me by. 
What if he would come in and you struggled with that anger for so many years? And what if he took that anger away from you and he lifted? What if that, heart, that, that, that heartache that burned your soul for so long that you welcome him into your life? And what if he came in and miraculously lifted that and lifted your head? What if that knot in the wood in your marriage that was just so hard and so painful and such a trial, what if you invited him in? Listen, I know a couple that was having a really hard time they had a knot in the wood in their marriage that wouldn't go away. And one night it came to a head. And they were all just arguing. And the whole family was there. And there was this sad argument going on. And there's just like nothing that could fix it. And they had a little girl that was four years old. And the dad didn't know what to do. So he just said, I think maybe we should pray. And then he prayed kind of a weak prayer. And then his wife prayed kind of a stubborn prayer. And then the four-year-old girl prayed, and God came into the room when that happened. I'm telling you, I was there. God came in the room. And when that little four-year-old girl prayed, everybody just went, wait a minute. The burden had lifted. The darkness had fled. The Lord had come. The Lord was there. Just telling you, why don't you invite God into whatever it is that is oppressing you, breaking your heart, frightening you, tempting you to believe that the promises of God are not true. Just say, Lord, pass me not. I I love it. Abraham and and Sarah, they're so old, and yet God is going to use them. And he's going to use them to influence nations and cities and nations, right? This is what happens, right? You can see it by reading the evening news, by watching the evening news, that they're, they're still influencing cities and nations, and they're doing it through generations of faithfulness, even though there was some unfaithfulness. And just like maybe you feel that way, right, with your family. Is your family perfect? I didn't think so. Are your kids perfect? No, they're not. Are your grandkids perfect? No, they're not. Is God at work in them? Wait a minute. It's God we're talking about here. Keep inviting. As long as you have breath, you can keep inviting God into your family. You can keep inviting God to not pass by your grandson, your granddaughter, your great-grand. God can fulfill his promises over generations. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? That's what he said. Heard about the little boy. He was just learning to pray, and he was getting ready to go to bed at night. He said to his mom and dad, I'm going up to pray. Does anybody need anything? (laughs) That's what we are. That's how to be our heart. Okay, so now you're going home this week and you're going to go back to work and there's going to be people who hate God and you're going to have troubles in your marriage, troubles in your home, financial pressures, physical threats, maybe some diagnosis from the doctor that's scaring you to death. Invite God into that. Say, don't pass me by. (laughs) Many, many years ago, there was, you know this, a, a blind hymn writer, Fanny Crosby was her name. She was a, was a poet. She would write these beautiful poems, and people would put them to music. She wasn't very well known until she was visiting in a prison one day. And when she was visiting in that prison, prisoners literally called out as she was leaving after she was sharing the gospel. Prisoners literally called out, don't pass me by. Don't pass me by. So she went home that day, and she wrote this little poem, Pass Me Not. O gentle Savior, hear my humble cry. While on others thou art calling, do not pass me by. And Ira Sankey, he got a hold of that. Ira Sankey was Moody's music guy, D.L. Moody's music guy. And they began to sing that song all around the world, and it made Fanny Crosby a famous hymn writer. 
this little song that's still so beautiful. We want to sing it to you today. I want you to think about this. Invite the Lord into your life. Pray the prayer. Pass me not, Lord. Pass me not. Pass me not, O gentle Savior. Hear my humble cry. While on others thou art calling, do not pass me by. sing this, but sing it as a prayer to the Lord, like you're going to pray it all week. Lord, God, think need your help, and you're passing by, and I'm inviting you in. Sing it. sad problems in my life. And there were times I thought, my goodness, I don't know if I'm ever going to overcome this. And then I talked to the Lord, and the simplest little stumbling, stuttering, humble, help me God prayer, he came into my life and he helped me. He did what there's no explanation for. He's the Lord of Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts, the, the, the God of the angel armies. There's nothing too hard for him. You can ask him to come into your life. So if you don't know the Lord today, ask him to save you. Repent from your sins, turn to the Lord and believe in Christ. 
folks in the front here will pray with you and, and explain that to you if you want to come forward at the end of the service. And if you're already a follower of Jesus, can I, can I challenge you to pray the prayers? Lord, open my eyes. Lord, pass me not. Lord, open my eyes. Lord, pass me not. See what will happen. Now, today, before you go home, uh, if you're a first-time guest, we have a little card for you. Fill out little gifts we want you to have. We want to stay in touch with you. Send you our little reminders every once in a while what we're doing so you can be a part of our family. I want you to know that uh, at the beginning of the service, we talked, Neil talked about us getting to be here a year. So many people have done so many good things to make this, this precious church uh, over the years. We're, we're glad to be a little part of that. I want to tell the Lord thank you. Uh, Lois and I are super thankful for you guys trusting us and bringing us here. We're so grateful. Every night of our life, we get up in our bed, we lay down, and we go, thank you for sending us to Bethel. We really love it. We love it here. We love you. Um, and we trust that God will help us together to, to gather many more right into, into the, the circle of light that Jesus is. And if we're, any way that we can help you, we're, we're, we, every one of the elders, pastors, and so forth, we're all eager to help you. Now I'm going to uh, dismiss this in prayer. Lord, this is what I pray. I pray that you would put a, upon the heart of your dear and beloved people this prayer that Abraham prayed, don't pass me by. Don't pass me by. And in the storms and the confusion or desperate circumstances like the blind men crying out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Help us to learn to be the kind of people that continually cry out to you. We invite you into our life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.